1: All the dish that's fit to air, Cindy Adams
2: is on 77 WABC.
1: Children, this is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams of the New York Post. You can read me, and you'd better, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday, I take off. Everybody needs to take off a day. I mean, just just Megan Markle needs to take a day off to get a shot in her behind. Everybody needs something. So I take off Friday, but I am here on Sunday, every Sunday talking to you from one to two o'clock. And right now I wish to talk about, remember the debate we just had? The horrendous experience of arresting Donald Trump? Remember? Let me tell you how America's government first began. You know what it is now. You know what a mess it is now. Here's how we started in the early days. George Washington. George Washington was unhappy about being anointed at the age of 56. And what he said, our first president, quote, I am accompanied by feelings not unlike those of a culprit." going to the place of his execution. Forget what Donald said. How about George Washington said? John Adams. He put it really nicely in 1796. What he said, I know the people around me and the people who are against me. I have decided what I am now at this moment is the but, B-U-T-T, "'of party malevolence. "'Understand it didn't just happen "'with the pigs we have in Washington. "'Now it happened a long time back. "'Let me tell you about 1808. "'Thomas Jefferson, surely you've heard that name. "'Thomas Jefferson disliked making eye contact. "'He was nervous about going anywhere.' The poor little thing was five foot four. He weighed under a hundred pounds and they called him little Jemmy. Ah. I am rushing into 1812. James Madison. James Madison was not colorful. He was known for creating, ready for this, the non-intercourse it didn't mean climbing on top of your boyfriend. The non-intercourse act was the thing that meant Americans cannot trade with England and France. I don't know what the hell all this was. I am just telling you, I have checked and I have gone into history. And this is what I can report. 1816. James Monroe. He lacked charisma, charisma. And enthusiasm. And he got elected in a half-hearted gesture from a dying, unhappy, miserable, fighting, crashing political party. How about that? Nice, right? Joseph Cummins, whom I don't know, he wrote a 2007 book called Anything for a Vote. In it, he called Andrew Jackson extremely Ruthless. And Andrew Jackson's wife had a mattress itch that got him known as a bigamist. Listen, Donald didn't even do that. 1828, Andrew Jackson. His campaign was so bitter that neither candidate made the customary post-election courtesy call on the other. Those were the nice days, the civilized days, not like today where people are eating one another in Washington. John Quincy Adams. He pulled 99 electoral votes and finally squeaked a win, as opposed to Andrew Jackson's puny seven little electoral votes. John Quincy Adams' next four years, after he finally won, they were disaster. I'm rushing into 1837, no, 1836, Martin Van Buren. That is the year Samuel Colt got his Colt revolver patent, for which we are all very grateful. How wonderful that we can now shoot one another people, and he got his Colt revolver patent. So what the hell? Who cares what Van Buren did? That's what he did for us. 1840. William Henry Harrison. He conducted a contest so vitriolic that there was no kissing and making up afterward. And he didn't have pigs like the guy Adam Schiff and our D.A. Bragg known to most people as a pig. He didn't have those people. This was back in the nice, civilized days. Now I'm into 1844. The New York Herald, a newspaper which no longer exists, then in those days wrote on James Polk, quote, There is no more ridiculous, contemptible, forlorn candidate that was ever put forth, by any party. That's an end quote. And that was a winner. That was before Donald. That was a winner. Onward, 1852, Franklin Pierce fought in the Mexican War, but dogged by alcoholism, political opponents never let him forget that he fainted in the heat of battle. Oh, such a nice president. 1858, and then I will be over. It's enough. But 1858 brought us Lincoln. Lincoln, who already has now a town, a car, a penny, and a statute named after him. And, like Donald, ditched attending his own presidential debate. He thought they were stupid, much like Donald might. He thought they were unwinnable, much like Donald might. So enough. Maybe Donald will also end up eventually with a town, a car, a penny, and a hole-in-one named after him. Okay, I have done enough. I am finished with the debates. I will now go on to more wonderful things that have happened to us this year. Let me tell you about Blooming's. Let me tell you about Barbie. Blooming's, which we all know as Bloomingdale's, is the palace of shopization. It is now a temp Barbie doll. Its windows are wall-to-wall Barbie its director of windows, Leanne Tischler, pulled back the curtains to actually tell me, We used mannequins because we could not do a 3D likeness of Margot Robbie or any of the talent. Our window had to be an abstract version of the movie. Instead of Barbie's big B, we used our Bloomingdale's B font. Okay. How did you finally get the approval, I asked. Well, she said, it was lots of approvals between Mattel, Warner Brothers, and our side. We started in February. They were very protective. Everything was marked. We'd show renderings, and they'd say yes or no. It was lots of back and forth, like Warners would say, no, our water doesn't move like the water you are showing in your window. And I was like, calm yourself. Ours is only a video. Our windows are blank with video on our back wall. Understand, Bloomingdale's windows are street theater. With Barbie, it suddenly became very intense. So I asked, what happens to your windowed Barbieville? Mannequins and props get stored for their next round Barbie's vanity might get even sold off and we could recycle her surfboards for next summer's use. Sometimes technology goes awry. Like 2019, we worked with live robotic arms in the window. The wires got stepped on and robotic stuff got damaged. But our mannequins don't usually fall down. The president of Mattel came, she said, and took his picture in front of the Barbie windows, wearing a Barbie T-shirt. After all we went through and all the tears and headaches, he loved our whole display. I never reported this, and I'm about to. Mattel once toyed with a maybe Susan Lucci doll. But I never mentioned that there was a Horseman doll company that already had a Cindy doll. The doll had dark hair, fake eyelashes, an exact replica of me. I also am not mentioning that if you call me now, I could sell you a few unsold Cindy dolls at very reasonable prices. What I hear is a new Ken doll is coming. You wind him up, And they'll take you to the Barbie movie. Ah, I have a little comment that for no reason at all I feel like mentioning. A Patricia Arquette comment that I came across. This you may not like and you may not have heard before. But she actually said, and this is a direct quote, My Patricia Arquette, my idea of success has lots to do with toilet paper. If I have 30 rolls in my cupboard, then I feel successful. I don't care what else I have. I don't have to have any food. But opening my cupboard and seeing that toilet paper, that to me is living. This is her exact quote. She also said, the worst thing in the world is like, oh, oh, I have to go to the store. I'm out of toilet paper. Having it is a luxury. That is Patricia Arquette.
2: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.
0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Now, before you turn me off, I'm on to F. Murray Abraham. Forget the F. It's alternately for whatever he feels like saying it is. Right now, it's for his fellow actors on Strike. The Strike continues, and I've been asking some guys, what do they think about it? F. Murray Abraham, and like I say, put the F for whatever you want to stick it. F. Murray Abraham told me about the strike. He said, the people running the business make billions with a B, billions. The average actors don't make a living. They need respect, a living income, free health care, which don't have. Only the union helps them live in this life. We are a democratic country. Without a middle class, there is no democracy. The union wants the same thing for actors. They want actors to be able to survive and to live. Every worker needs respect and a decent living. Some lose their homes because they cannot even pay their doctor bills. I have no worry paying the rent. This is F. Murray Abraham speaking. But I am walking the picket line every single day. Day, I am a serious union man. The industry is not helping average people like they used to. It's what the Democratic Party should be doing. Huge corporations, guys raising $250 million a year, aren't paying a dime. They aren't sharing. How about taxing everyone equally, 20%? Forget loopholes. We could even finance social security. Those rich people get away with murder. Continuing on, he said, once a director mistreated me and then mistreated one little actress who only had a few days work. She was pitiful. She had no money. I told him if he's bad to her, this one little actress, once more, I would punch him. Well, he was. And I did. I got fired. But sometimes you've just got to take a stand. Sometimes even to loosen people up on set. I have been known, you won't believe it, I have actually been known to drop my pants. I said, why would you drop your pants on set? He said, just to make them laugh. My underwear stays on. Nobody wants to see my old thing anymore. Yeah well, ret- yeah, well, what the hell? Next for this Oscar Emmy, Obie Golden Glober, is The Queen of Versailles. It's a documentary Ron Howard once made about a wife wanting the biggest house in America. Ron Howard, by the way, just did a documentary on me. This play is to be a musical. And with his drawers on, He will be the husband. Kristen Chenoweth will be the queen. I now, listen, it's my time so I can say what I want to do. I want to pee on the Hamptons. I don't like the Hamptons. I had a house there. The Hamptons hills are alive with the sound of fundraisers. It's enough with them. Mitt Romney, Donald, Eric Adams, RFK Jr., Kathy Hochul, John Fetterman from Poor, Pennsylvania. Hillary, back when her husband was back on his back. Also, pardon the expression, Representative George Santos. Probably even Thomas Jefferson. Only DeSantis chickened because his wife's ball gown was at the cleaners. That's Ron DeSantis. His wife is all he's concerned with, and her schmatas are all she is concerned with. Every Paul worth his weight in promises is making a crash dash east. Adled Joe Biden, you won't believe it, accidentally ended up in New Hampton. That's Iowa. It's known for corn and pork. And probably included Hunter, who was also known for corn and pork, and is so keen financially that he'd called England's monarch Ka Ching Charles. This is the last of the weekends. The area's alone turned down after this. Kamala hasn't yet looked for a fundraiser. Why? Because nobody wants her because they don't know what kind of work she's out of. Listen, Hamptonites have priorities. Four people who own a studio share negotiated a Let's Stamp Out Adam Schiff protest. The Hamptons fundraises everything, anything. A benefit for educating ticks. A plaque to help hookers needing johns. A cookout for residents in Somalia who have no TV. An old lady with a new itch. They had even a Bow Wow Meow Ball, which auctioned up Madonna's 1992 sex book, which described how to do it without ending up in Mount Sinai. Listen to me. Listen to me. Paper-trained guests got front pages. Not front pages, front tables. Listen, I'm getting tired. I have to finish this, and then we get to a station break. I want to pee once more for another two minutes on the Hamptons. I was in Bridgehampton for years. Forget it. You have to make a down payment on the LIE to get there. It's too tough, too much traffic, no more, enough, bumper to bumper. The thing's more crowded than our southern border. Ronald Reagan is still on it, trying to make a left. The only way for any Manhattanite to reach Amagansett is to walk. Once it was a potato field. Then folks so rich they had prescription windows, but couldn't spell Rockaway, discovered it. This began the housing hustle, and the mine is bigger than yours, drumbeat. Next came the dread word houseguest. Many stayed longer than crabgrass. Even with special needs, no down pillows, only rubber, no coffee, only postum. no basketball court, only tennis, no coming alone. I'll bring my girlfriend if you don't mind. Bit by bit it changed. Southampton mansions became rental shares. Six bodies in a kitchen, none cleaning up. Rolls Royce's Osmost into bicycles. Elegant shops retailing $600 blouses began hustling T-shirts and fine dining. Today it's burgers and beer. And I have had enough and I am now going into a station break. And if you know what's good for you, you will come back because I am going to talk about marijuana right now. Afterwards,
2: this is the Cindy Adams Show, seventy-seven WABC.
1: Okay, I'm now going to speak to Arana. Arana, you have to give me Arana, no matter how many talk.
2: Oh, that's (laughs)
1: Arana Hankin Biggers. You got a lot of names. She is the president (laughs) and founder of the Union Square Travel Agency it is a cannabis dispensary of which i am totally unfamiliar okay now can you tell me tell me about how you got involved a high class lady with such a beautiful name how did you get involved in selling pushing cannabis
2: oh gosh well that is a great question you know what initially attracted me to the cannabis industry here in new york state was the legislation that allowed for the legalization of cannabis that prioritized um, MWBs, minority women-owned businesses, um, individuals that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, um, prioritized distressed farmers, disabled veterans, so communities really that had not been given a chance to compete in other industries. So. They were being prioritized, and that's what initially attracted me to the industry. And also just being at the forefront of a new economy is super exciting. My my grandmother's first cousin is the first black woman in New York State to receive a liquor license. She owned and operated a liquor store in Harlem for close to 30 years, and that really helped to build generational wealth for herself and her, her children and their families um, and left a lasting impact on me.
1: Did you did you get involved in cannabis yourself? Did I get involved? Do you I try it? Do it's you, got you got it? use it?
2: Do I use cannabis? I have used cannabis probably since I was in high school. I certainly have, yes. It's helped and aided it with anxiety. I have a very sensitive constitution. I'm not a big fan of alcohol. I don't like feeling hungover and, you know, nauseous and sick for days after drinking. And so... Cannabis has a a much lighter impact on my uh, physiology.
1: (laughs) Okay, now let's go back. Tell us where are you from, your background, and how did you actually start to get involved? Where did you go to school? All the rest so we know exactly with whom we're talking. Oh, my goodness. Well,
2: I'm a New Yorker originally, but lived in the Midwest for many years. I went to Howard for an undergrad. I went to Stanford for a grad. I did a mid-career fellowship program at Harvard. I'm really focusing on uh, kind of creative placemaking. My background is in politics, economic development policy, and real estate development, but really creative placemaking and community building, um, you know, community development. So finding creative ways to use place and space to empower communities of color economically, which is really why I was attracted to cannabis, right? It kind of integrated all of my interests, economic development policy, real estate development design and the arts. I worked in arts policy for a number of years as well when I was in the, uh, in the New York state Senate. So it's really, um, you know, it was a perfect fit for me and I ended up getting into the industry through old colleagues from the real estate field. Um, someone that I worked with before who was the owner of an, a big company that owned and operated a number of um, uh, mixed use buildings here in New York city. And so he brought me in because one of his neighbors during the pandemic had worked in cannabis in Massachusetts on the finance side and helping to do fundraising um, for cannabis companies in Massachusetts. And so we just started meeting every single week during the pandemic, and uh, this incredible synergy just started happening, and and really it was quite serendipitous that the person who brought me in um, had a connection to the cannabis field that he didn't even know about, and we were able to connect with the right people at the right time to support our efforts in pursuit of a license.
1: Okay, now the Union Square Travel Agency is the name of your dispensary. Are you in Union Square?
2: We certainly are. We're just one block south of 14th Street and Broadway. We are on 13th and Broadway.
1: Okay, um, tell me, was it difficult to obtain a license to sell marijuana when you started in New York?
2: I mean, it was definitely a challenge to, to secure a license to sell cannabis here in New York. It's a very complicated process, kind of ever evolving. You know, it took some time for the first application to come out. Folks didn't really know what to expect. Um, but you know, we really had a leg up because we partnered with a tremendous not-for-profit called the Doe Fund. The first round called the what? Called the what? The Doe Fund. D O E. The DOE okay. Fund yes. Yes. Okay. is a not-for-profit that's been around for over yes. 35 yes. years. Yes, yes, yes. with formerly incarcerated, primarily black and brown men, yeah. um, to provide su- uh, supportive housing, paid work, and transition into permanent employment and permanent housing. And so the first round of licenses, um, the state prioritized awarding those licenses to individuals with cannabis conviction or not-for-profits that serve that population. And so we had the good fortune of being able to connect with the Doe Fund very early on, and we um, submitted with them an application for a license. And because they really are one of the not-for-profits in New York State that have the biggest impact um, in formerly incarcerated populations, you know, I think we had a a leg up, and we were in an incredible position to secure a license very early on. We're license number three in New York State.
1: Was it not people of color who founded the company?
2: Um, the company that I work for, the Union Square Travel Agency? Yeah. So I myself have an African-American woman. My partner is um, Chinese, Australian. Another one of our partners is an African-American man from Bed-Stuy. Um, and then the other two are not folks of color, but it is majority owned
1: by people of color. Okay, let me ask you, since I am a total... A hundred percent square. I don't do cannabis. I don't know what the hell it is. I, I, I run from everything. I run from absolutely everything. So you have to explain to me patiently and not get mad at me. Um, was, is, is marijuana still illegal on the federal level? Aren't you afraid ever of a federal agency coming to shut you down?
2: So we call it cannabis um, because marijuana is a term that really was used to stigmatize it and to to attach it to, you know, incoming Mexican immigrants and African-American jazz musicians. Marijuana really is a derogatory term. So we use cannabis now going, <laughs> um, but it is still illegal federally. Um, but, you know, the federal government is collecting quite a bit of tax from us because of this crazy tax code 280E that does not allow us to write off most business expenses. So um, they're benefiting quite a bit from the cannabis industry. And, you know, the majority of states here in in the United States have legalized cannabis for either medical and or adult use. Um, And the tides are turning, and there has been no case where folks in a state that has made cannabis use legal where the feds have come down and shut them down, at least certainly not in the last five years or so. We're not at risk of that. How
1: how many other legal cannabis dispensaries are there in New York City? Um, So there's
2: actually a mixture of individuals who are just doing delivery um, under a license and then a few that have brick and mortar. I think the toll number is around 23 in New York State at this point, including delivery and physical stores. But that number is growing every day.
1: Do you deliver? I mean, like you, if I call for a pastrami sandwich and they send it over with mustard and pickle, do you deliver this
2: stuff? We certainly do deliver. You can go to our website, union
1: square travel agency. I'm not going on your website and I don't want any. I'm just asking. <laughs> Calm yourself. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> so do you
2: deliver everywhere? We deliver in the um, five boroughs.
1: How do you protect your delivery people from being robbed? Uh, You know,
2: it's definitely a tricky business, but we don't have big signs that say what the delivery guys are carrying if they just look like everyone else.
1: Is there security at your store? Certainly, yes. I I I don't understand how... Uh Go ahead, go, (laughs) Go go, go.
2: I said I would say yeah. that I urge you to come visit because this is not, you know, your your mother's cannabis dispensary. This is a high-end, fancy boutique that kind of mirrors an Apple store, a jewelry store, um, contemporary art gallery. Our average customer is probably mid thirties and mid forties with higher education, graduate degrees. We um, serve a really lo- wide, diverse group of folks. And most people come in because they have trouble sleeping or they have trouble with pain and inflammation or issues with anxiety, um, digestive issues. So this is not, uh, you know, cannabis is not something that people use solely for recreational use. People are using it for medicinal use to make their lives better. And the majority of our customers are actually, I would think someone exactly just like you, Cindy, um, an older woman. Um, that is actually the biggest growing market in the country are women 65-plus.
1: Well, honey, you're sort of making it seem like this is a wonderful thing. I'm not going to a high-end store. I go to Saks. I go to Tiffany. Those to me are high-end stores. I am not schlepping to a cannabis store, and I don't understand people who are doing it. My housekeeper's not doing that. My assistant's not doing it. My secretary is not doing it. My driver is not doing it. So not all of us are schlepping to buy cannabis. It's not for everyone, Um,
2: but those, those who do consume, but many of those who consume want to be able to purchase in an environment that has high design, that has informed butt tenders, and it doesn't feel like, you know, an illegal smoke shop, right? So there, there's a significant difference between licensed and unlicensed spaces.
1: I have to tell you a little story, apropos of absolutely nothing, but it just came into my fevered brain. Back in the 1,000 years ago, WNBC Channel 4, we had an anchor lady called Sue Simmons. Sue Simmons did Live at 5. It was a very famous television show in those days. And I went to visit her one day. She had a little Yorkie dog. I have Yorkie dogs, and we loved one another. So she brought me into a room one day, and she and her dog were in there, and whatever was happening, all of a sudden her dog fell over. The dog, she was, she had closed the door, she was smoking this stuff, or taking it, however the hell she's taking it, and and the damn dog fell over. So let me tell you, that's the only animal I I ever know. (laughs) It is on air. It is on air because it's a wonderfully funny story. Okay, okay, okay. Do you, is there security at your store? Yes, we definitely have security.
2: But I think the most important thing is that we're able to provide safe, tested product to a number thousands of people who were already consuming cannabis we're not trying to convince those who don't consume of not use to, to use certainly we're we're open to those ideas but there's many many people here in the city Cindy who have been consuming for decades and we're offering them a safe place to buy top quality products don't you
1: also employ convicts don't 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 you do that? I don't understand. Tell me so I will understand.
2: So the Doe Fund, as you know, works to support yeah. formerly incarcerated and formerly homeless, primarily black and brown men. We have a partnership with a graduate of the Doe Fund who was in prison for 20 years, who's now a professor at NYU. And he started a not-for-profit called the Cannabis Justice and Equity Initiative. Um, and there was a curriculum that was developed that he's using in this course that was accredited by Cornell University. He has a cohort of 25 individuals who were recently released from prison, returning citizens, we call them, and it's a, a good mix of men and women. And they just graduated from, I think it's a 15-week training program so that they can work in the legal cannabis industry here in New York State. These jobs are are, are good-paying jobs, high-paying jobs in many regards, depending on what level you enter. They come with benefits. Um, There's lots of opportunities for growth. So we're looking to give folks access to this industry who otherwise would not have access.
1: What do you learn in 15 weeks? Do they make the stuff or do they mix it? Do they sell it? What do they do in 15 weeks? What do they learn?
2: It's a a course that's being taught at City College, and they learn really about everything from seed to sale. So they visited a, a farm, a cannabis farm upstate. They visited a processor. They visited a number of dispensaries. They learn about customer service. They learn about the history of cannabis. They learn about the various different products that are on the market. Um, so it's quite an extensive
1: program. How much of this stuff can a person buy at one at one time?
2: The state has a cap of three ounces per, per transaction, which is a pretty high cap. And there's few who actually buy that much at one time.
1: I don't know. Now, tell me what you do with three ounces. Does it make you go to sleep? What what can three ounces do for you? It's quite a bit of flour. I mean, if if (laughs) nobody has ever tried it, I would like to understand.
2: Well, it it really depends on what strain you are consuming. There are different strains for different uses. There are some strains that give you energy. There are some that put you to sleep. There are some that reduce nausea. There are some that induce creativity. Um, So it really depends on what you're looking for. It's not one fit for all, right? So that's why we have our bud tenders who go through a week-long paid training, very intensive training and ongoing training so that they can direct our customers to the best product to fit their needs.
1: Well, let me tell you, this is the first time I have had a sit-down, talk-up conversation On cannabis. My housekeeper is inside right now making chicken soup. She doesn't know from this. I I don't know from this. I can't see myself schlepping in to that store. But it was very, very nice to know you. What kind of cannabis do you take to knock yourself out so you sleep?
2: Oh, I have no problem sleeping. I have two little kids, and I work around the clock, so I don't have a problem sleeping. I'm usually partaking to give me energy. And I'm going to an event or a party. Um, so like a, a blueberry muffin is always a fun one, something tropical. Um, but there are so many different products that 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 one can choose from. But I definitely, Cindy, I would love to give you a tour of our new space. We just opened up um, in our permanent space around the corner on Thirteenth and Broadway, I would love to invite you in for a, a, a tour and to meet our team and and kind of show you how we all we operate there. How about I think samples? You'd be blown away.
1: Do, you, do you do samples? Do you do samples? Will I fall Perfect. down when I go through the store? <laughs> Not, you won't even smell a thing. It smells nothing <laughs> like cannabis. Thank you. Well, what's the difference? Why cannabis instead of marijuana? How does that improve the name?
2: So marijuana really is a slang word that was developed to, um, like, to really attach a stigma to the use and to say this is a plant that's only used by these Mexican immigrants. We don't want them coming into our country. Back like in the 20s, right? It was used to to um, really target and use as a tool for the police to arrest and imprison. Mexican immigrants and African-American jazz musicians. Prior to this, the FDA in our country actually um, was cannabis was used as, as medicine. It was in pharmacies. It was prescribed by doctors for, for many, many decades before it became used as a tool to, to really oppress people of color in this country.
1: Okay. I have now listened to you. It now seems like cannabis is something that I should shop for in Tiffany or Saks Fifth. It sounds like such a high-class thing. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm going to drop in on Thursday, but thank you very much for talking with me. I enjoyed it. Anytime. It's my
2: pleasure, Cindy. Great getting to speak with you as well. Thank you, sweetie. Bye. Take care. Bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
1: I just came across a Mike Tyson quote. He said, I do not need to be remembered. As long as my kids remember me, I'd rather be forgotten by anybody and everybody else. And here's something that I just heard from humorist Morty Storm. He said, and these are direct quotes, he said, my dog is named Sex, S-E-X, Sex. When I wanted a license for sex, the city hall clerk said to me, yeah, hey, me too. I said, no, 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 stupid, you don't understand. I've had sex. I was nine. The clerk said, hey, you must have been quite a kid. So here is where they are going. George Clooney is in Greece. He's hawking Omega watches, and with his houses all over, he needs extra bucks like Barbie needs a hairdresser. Newly singled Sofia Vergara, she's at La Dolce Vita and says, Life gives you lemons, you come to Italy to squeeze them. I don't know who she might be squeezing at the moment, but I'm trying to be friendly. On the hunt for another shape to squeeze, Gwyneth. Do not ask Gwyneth who. Javier Bardem went to Rio. Liam Neeson, Angela, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Michael Douglas have a house in Majorca. Well, listen, doesn't everyone? Pregnant, Courtney Kardashian, Hawaii. Alicia Keys and Swizz Beats went to Columbia, where I was told not to go because they have a little habit there. They kill people. Maybe for coffee, they went to Columbia. Nick, LaChey and company to Disney World. Jimmy Fallon and family, New Hampshire's Lake Winnipesaukee, where I have also been. Brian Cox, Turks and Caicos. Melissa McCarthy and husband, New Mexico. Wait, wait, wait. I, I have a lot more, but I, I wanna, I wanna go into something else. Things are changing. We understand things are changing. But we wanna talk a little bit about a subway fare increase and what is happening to other prices. A Timex. A little lousy, cheapo Timex watch that once cost $31.99, like a Mickey Mouse watch, it's now, are you ready, $1,000. Something called a Timex Giorgio Gali, which is a $2 automatic, whatever the hell that is, but that's what it was, is now $975 plus tax. It has a black dial. It has a titanium case. It winds when you shake it. Forget the wrist. The time has come to stick this thing you know where. I got a little story I want to tell you. I want to tell you about the movies. Liam Neeson is driving around Berlin with two kids and bombs under their seats that go boom if they exit the vehicle. Better they should not have to pee. The film Retribution opened this week. Liam said, "'My advice is take time to smell the roses. "'Just sit back and enjoy the themes of money and greed. "'Right. Yeah. Great idea, Liam. "'Always relaxing.' to be in a car with a bomb under your behind. I would like to talk about the movies. I went to a movie theater last week. Each of the multiple coming attractions specialized in killing, stabbing, choking, shooting, bombing, knifing, fighting, hanging, explosions, and bloodthirsty hate. Knives, sticking into people, blood coming out of the people. It's enough troubles with our city. We have migrants, we have crime, we have taxes, we have roaches, we have shoplifting subways, progressives, plus we have the thieves in D.C. And now America's major proponent of terror and crime is coming out of Hollywood? Why don't we forget the R ratings? We need H ratings for horror. I don't understand what they are making in Hollywood. September 18th brings something from Sean Penn. It's a heart-wrenching doc called Superpower. Rockets launching into Ukraine. Explosions. Europe's bloodiest invasion. Since World War II, that is now a documentary. It's broken veterans, widows, homes, families destroyed, women as snipers, blood-killing death. It's kids defending their land, soldiers putting lives on the line. Enough already. What used to be more American than bringing your children to a movie? Whatever happened to motion picture czars? Is everyone, anyone watching? Hollywood's putting out really great stuff. And we have to wonder what's wrong with Washington? I have a lot more to tell you. I would like to discuss artificial intelligence. I would like to take over what they are doing about this column and artificial intelligence. Does it work because they are cheaper than people? I am reprinting letters I have received. Those that begin now start, Dear Stupid, they suggest what I can do with myself. I will avoid some of those. A deep thinker named Eugene told me he doesn't like AI, but he printed two separate notes to me that were on lined composition paper torn from a notebook written with an unsharpened pencil. And he is say, said to me, it's great, this is a, on an unsharpened pencil, like a crayon. He said, it's great that you showed up dumb, Chris Christie. Thank you then from New Jersey's Marion, No last name. She said, Thank you for sharing all of your great wisdom, but most of the time, I don't agree with you. Norman, whoever he is, typed an 8 by 10 page to me on the Declaration of Independence, and he informed me New York's final version was signed July 9. Days later, because they awaited Great Britain's reconciliation. Okay, why why, why he would write me this, who the hell knows why anybody would write me this. Even reading my, my own letters, I have to be, like, demented. A belated Easter note read, He read you, I read you, I keep up the good work. I'm from Jersey, I like Trump. And his designer greetings card for the logo printed in China. Okay, I can't do more. I would like to do more. I would like to pee on so many things, but I can't. Because it's time to do a station break and it's time to bring up money and they have to tell us what they're selling on this radio station and they have to get rid of me. But I do hope I will hear from you again And you may listen to me again next Sunday from 1 to 2 on WABC-AM Radio 770 on the dial. I am Madam Adams, Cindy Adams, signing off.
0: This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays.
2: 77 WABC News starts now. It's 81 and mostly sunny on this Sunday, August 27th. Good afternoon. I'm Liz Radavali. The White House says that it is up to Congress to provide additional funding to help cover for the cost of the influx of asylum seekers. This week, New York Governor Kathy Hochul called on President...